Hello, welcome to Voices in Innovation from GigaOM. I am Johnny Baldersberger, your host, and today we have a special episode sponsored by Cockroach Labs. And as such, uh, we have our analyst, Andrew Brust, who does a lot of webinars for us and does a lot of the research around the cloud and cloud databases. And uh, our guest today is Jim Walker from Cockroach Labs. And they're, they're just going to have a fantastic conversation around global workloads, uh, cloud databases, and that sort of thing. Uh, I'm going to sit back and let them do their thing. So enjoy. All right, excellent. I am super happy to have the opportunity to kind of talk shop with you, Jim. Um, and there's so many things we could talk about because we've known each other for a while, both in the context of your current position at Cockroach Labs and a couple of previous ones as well. But the one that's really kind of interesting me is watching the, the kind of blast off of Kubernetes in the industry. And then actually, it seemed to be a secondary thing, but now it's almost, in my mind, the primary thing to watch it sort of change the world of databases and the way that cloud providers kind of interact with their customers and almost their whole business model. It, it, has, it has flattened things a bit for the different cloud providers and created a kind of commoditization. And, and so you see like Azure and Google Cloud um, introducing technologies to allow their stuff to run on other people's clouds. And, you know, in the, in the context of databases, it just seems like, well, that begs the question, do I want to have a database that runs multiple nodes on different clouds? Right. And do I need Kubernetes to do that? And do I need my cloud provider even at that point and their, and their databases? So I imagine you have some opinions oh, here. God. Yeah, you better believe <laughs> I mean, there's a whole lot in that one, Andrew. And I think it's, it's interesting because I think the, you know, we've seen this kind of slow roll adoption and, and it seems kind of, you know, I guess, I guess when you're in things, it seems really slow sometimes. Um, but from the outside, it seems like, you know, Kubernetes is just like overnight taking over the world all of a sudden, but I've kind of been in the Kubernetes space for, you know, a couple of years now. And, you know, initially when the kind of Kubernetes thing started rolling and, you know, kind of Docker swarm kind of faded on the sideline and like there was this Mesos thing that kind of faded and like Kubernetes just kind of took over. And I think, you know, what the CNCF has done in terms of governing that project and guiding it through this and, you know, Dan Cohn leading on to Priyanka now, like I, I they've done a phenomenal job getting That's Kubernetes. the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. That's right. That's right. Linux and Foundation, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and getting us to this point, we've done a great job, and, and now you, you see cloud native everywhere, right? This term is everywhere, and it's and in really that core technology is this Kubernetes thing. But Kubernetes itself, being Google exhaust, uh, is really just an API ultimately, right? And yep. and it's kind of interesting that that you know it is getting to the point. You know, we we always joked earlier, we were like, you know, man, Kubernetes has got to get to the point where it's just boring. You know, it's all the other stuff that's going to matter, and I think we're starting to get to that point. And and I think that's why we're seeing the the large cloud providers like like what Azure has done, you know, and Microsoft and 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 you know honestly like I think Google's pretty smart here and what Kurian is doing um, strategically with Anthos and, and allowing people to go down that path to you know to have Kubernetes kind of be that 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 underlying kind of standard in an API but putting that in their language so that you can be multi-cloud right you can have you know both on-prem and in GCP, for instance, you know, that's multi-cloud. That, that to me is multi-cloud. Hybrid is just multi. 
Um, I think that's what they're allowing people to do and how do you federate these clusters. Now, the challenge is at the data layer and that's why you're asking me about database and everything. And, and ultimately, you know, I was in, a, in, a, in, in early days, Kubernetes company, CoreOS, which really helped drive a lot of stuff. I saw a lot of organizations really struggle thinking about the database. Um, you know, for ephemeral workloads and stateless workloads and, and Kubernetes, oh man, it's great. But when you start to really think about the data side of things, that's where things get 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 more complicated. When we when we start thinking about multi cloud and hybrid cloud, you know, it, you know that that where do you where do you synthesize you know like a, a you know a foundation? Is it at the infrastructure or is it at the application layer? Which means ultimately you know the data. Um, and I, I that, my, yeah. my personality is such that I tend to get overwhelmed easily. So I start thinking about that, and then I start thinking about uh, databases needing to be global in certain cases. And then I get to data sovereignty and I even right. start thinking about sovereign clouds and how the heck can I run a database that's globally distributed that's also kind of sensitive to data protection regulations in certain countries right. where I may not even be able to use Azure's public cloud data centers, but may need to use the uh, sovereign ones. So. Right. Isn't Kubernetes like my panacea that gets me there? And so, yeah, do I need it to get me there? Or are there well, other ways to do it? So a lot of people are thinking like that, but there's a fundamental problem with Kubernetes when you start to federate clusters. Federation being, how do I run in multiple regions? You know, How do I run a cluster that's spanning the globe? And there's not many people who actually have a Kubernetes cluster that spans more than one region, dude. I'll tell you right, it's really difficult to do because the, the problem comes into kind of the networking and security, you know, these consistent policies at that layer. What we're seeing is, you know, customers can actually do this at the application layer. That's why I joined CockroachDB and, and you know, Cockroach Labs, because Cockroach Database allows you to actually have, you know, at the data layer, I can spin up a node anywhere pointed at any cluster, any Kubernetes cluster where there's, you know, data running. And, you know, uh, if there's a cluster running in that and, and I've now federated it at the data layer. Now there's there's those there's nodes issues. could be running on virtual machines too, right? They don't yes, have absolutely. to be on Kubernetes clusters. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, it's kind of like the old days, you know. I mean, both of us. I, I, I don't know. I Andrew, like the, the interest said, I've known you for a while. Like I, I attack things a little bit. You know, I went deep into the infrastructure looking up, but you know, ultimately the solution is top down. It's the application layer down that's important because that's what we're trying to solve. And, and you know, I think looking at this from the data point of view and trying to you know create sovereignty at that layer actually makes sense because that's what matters sovereignty of compute nobody cares like really like you know it's it's the data that that ultimately needs to be concerned when when you talk about that challenge right so not only is it is it basically managing these things in these different environments which is probably what devops people think about it, it's also about well okay now i have a database that is spanning these different places what about transactions and and consistency and, and latencies, right? How do I get writes and reads that are, you know, acceptable for my users in, in all these places? And then ultimately, I think the, the third challenge is this data sovereignty thing that you bring up, which is like, well, look at, there's a complex web of data privacy regulation going on right now, and it's difficult. Um, and, 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 and how do you do that today? Well, you let the application deal with it and your coders and that's best practices. Like, let's let the database deal with that. That's ultimately, you know, I mean, for me at Cockroach, I just hit on like some of the core capabilities that we're doing is like consistent transactions at scale, 
single database all over the place and then allow for geo partitioning and, and let the database deal with sovereignty, let the database deal with, you know, having data reside in the right location, not just for regulation, but for performance too, which comes back to the first point. And that's, you know, how do you get low latency access to data, no matter where you're at on the planet? If I had my druthers, I'd be able to see everything as one logical database and then mm -hmm. the physical necessities of certain data residing in certain places geographically or technologically, that's something I let the database or the application handle. And right. by the way, Kuber, like the first time I got Kubernetes kind of working correctly in an environment of mine was very exciting, but I don't really want to be playing with that command line interface much more than I already have. I, right. To me, that's not turnkey joy. Yeah, I, I, I don't particularly care for YAML. Uh, you know, I, I remember COBOL, you had to like count spaces and whatnot. It's a nightmare. And, and, and you're right, it, it let's, let's let DBAs and, and developers deal with the database and let's not let them worry about the underlying layers. Look at like, you know, what we're doing here with, within Cockroach Labs, I mean, we really are, the, the genesis of our database starts with, with Google Spanner. Uh, and you know what Google Spanner was what they built because they needed a transactional database with global scale with right. Borg, Borg being the predecessor of Kubernetes, right? So, you know, if you, if you look at the lineage, right, you know, Spanner is to Borg, right? The internal databases to their internal system, just as CockroachDB is to Kubernetes. It is, it's basically the, the natural lineage and the natural next step. It's built for this world and it, it is Google exhaust in itself. Uh, funny enough, it's, it's, you know, and, but but ultimately, yeah, you you need to abstract out the, you, you need to abstract away this this complexity, um, because a it's too difficult. You know, I for instance, like I love Cassandra. Even if everyone could master it, there's no efficiency oh, in everyone handling it. That's, That's what right. platforms are about. Do That's the right. do the complexity at the platform level so that I can innovate on top of that, right? right? And add value on top of that. That's right. Like. like and here's a good one, Andrew. We both know Cassandra very well. Like Cassandra is an amazing database. It is, it's awesome, right? Like, but like to actually be a master of Cassandra, you really have to know what's going on underneath with the data. Like you have to know your logical data. You have to know the queries you have before you actually even define the database, right? And like there, there's complexity that the, the, the developer, the developer just wants Postgres, dude. That's yes. all they want. That's it. Like, <laughs> let's just be real here. Like, this is true. They just, you know, I just want SQL, right? And so, how do you do that and and extract away the complexity of, of of global distribution or even just scale in a single region? I'd also, by the way, I'm a developer. I don't want a shard either. You know, I don't want to set up active passive, you know, failover. Nobody wants to do that. Why are we forcing people to do that still? Let's use the cloud and be a cloud database and let the database just deal with that naturally, right? Like it is an organic function within it, and that's really the premise of, of what we're doing, like global or local, right? Yes, and speaking of global or local, that gets me to one more question I wanted to make mm. sure that we could cover, which is this notion of, well, if I have a, a database with global distributed capabilities, do I have to be a worldwide organization with Nexus in you know 30 countries or can I use it for smaller things? Like is, you know, is smaller, is smaller beautiful? Um, yeah. and, or am I using the wrong thing for the wrong job if I do that? 
What's your, what's hey, your look, thought man, on that? You know, global means something different for everybody. Um, and you know, the minute you're on, in fact, I think the minute you're a business today, you are instantly open to global business. Like, I think the world of analog business and the one-on-one -on -one and like something that's very local is gone away. And I think COVID did this to us. I think if you look back to March 15th, you know, even the smallest, like people who had businesses, they, they, they scrambled to get an online store, you know, cause like, I think the, I think we saw the death of analog business and, and with the true digital presence, you can't restrict who's going to have access to you. So are you a global business out of the gate? I would argue that I think everybody is going to be, that said, you don't always have the, the global challenges. Sometimes you have scale within a single region and that's a problem. You know, COVID is proving this to us and it's like, it's feast or famine out there. And, you know, for some organizations, um, you know, so for some businesses, it's feast, like their business has never been bigger. And you know what, they're struggling to meet that demand and meet the scale problem in a single data center, right? Because I got to reshard the database or I have a single write node and there's a bottleneck. Like these things are also a problem. So, you know, having a database that automates that scale, having a database where every node is a consistent gateway to the rest of the database, right? Everything's a rewrite, you know what I mean? Like you can't scale just the data. You got to actually scale your transactional volume too, right? And so, it, there's there's lots of different ways that we could talk about scale, global, local, uh, and and I think I think all of them are being tested today. And global can be also kind of point to point to begin with. You know, right. maybe I'm running a kosher food business and I'm operating primarily in New York, but also in Tel Aviv, right? right. But then, eh, you know, maybe I'm going to connect to communities in Buenos Aires or Toronto. Um, right. So right. it can grow, and I want to be able to sort of jump one threshold now and then not be afraid of the success. Like, the last thing I want is for customers in more countries to want to do business with me and to dread that because I'm not ready for it. That's right. And, it, and it's about freedom, Andrew. It's, it's the liberty to do so. Like it, it, it's that freedom and it's that freedom to go into those new places. And it's the freedom to basically use the cloud provider you want as well. And, and I think that's the, that's the trick here. Okay. So ultimately it's about flexibility and kind of leveling things so that I can go wherever I need, both in terms of my cloud partner or partners and my geographies and my regions. And yet I want all the data to kind of at least logically function as a single database. Right. So I kind of want everything. Right. You want the world, Andrew. And your kosher business on them. Almost, almost literally. All right. And I still uh, want a good bagel. So <laughs> you can't, well, you know what though, no matter what your database does, you're not going to get a good bagel outside of New York city. So that's that. Um, anyway, wow. That got, uh, that got into a very kind of niche discussion, I suppose. But uh, it, that was, that was super interesting. Thank you for sharing a little time with us and, and hopefully we can do this again. Cause I feel like we've barely, scratch the surface. Maybe we can talk about other cuisines next time. Yeah, right. I Happy, happy to do so, Andrew. I, uh, I always enjoy uh, our conversation. So thanks for, for having me on. It's great. That's mutual. Okay. Thank thanks, you everyone. Both. I was going to say, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on today. Jim, thank you. Uh, I would absolutely love to have you both on again so we can talk about uh, pizza, which I know Jim has some very poignant uh, 
ideas on. And for everyone out there, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, if you'd like to see more, please come to gigaohm.com where you can get tech forward advice on pretty much anything. You can buy one report or subscribe to the whole body of research, our webinars, blog posts, everything yes, like that. For Giga Ohm, I'm Johnny Baldisberger, and this has been Voices in Innovation.